0: Hey, finance folk, welcome back to the EU Finance Podcast. I'm Aidos Polobinskas, and it's January 2023, and Brussels woke up this morning to a clean blanket of snow. It's like there's a big, beautiful, single space ready and waiting for new opportunities. Sounds like a metaphor for the EU, no? When I came to work for DG FISMA, or what I like to call the EU's Ministry of Finance, more than a few moons ago, work on the Capital Markets Union, the CMU, was just getting started. The CMU is a big project and can sound complicated sometimes, and often it is. At its core, the Capital Markets Union is a plan to create a single market for capital in the EU. The aim is to get money, investments, and savings, including those of us ordinary savers and consumers, flowing across and around the EU so that it can benefit consumers, investors, and companies, regardless of where they're located. Putting money to work to keep the machinery of our economy moving and growing. In other words, jobs and growth. Jobs and growth, kids, jobs and growth. There's no single law or piece of legislation that will snap the CMU into existence. It's going to be the result of a lot of patient work putting all the building blocks into place. About a month ago, the Commission put forward a proposal that further builds the Capital Markets Union. I've asked Tanya Panova, the head of FISMA's department for the CMU, to join me today and to help me understand what, like today's snow, is new, and what promise it holds for us. Welcome, Tanya, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, always.
0: Well okay um, the thing is capital markets Union is is obviously a very very important question. Um, as I mentioned um, uh, in the intro uh, it's one of the things that I was wor- not working on the capital markets Union but on on the communications for it when when I joined the commission um so I find it interesting and it's near and dear to my heart so again thanks thanks for coming and um, let's let's dive right into it okay the the, the commission continues to build, the Capital Markets Union, and in December adopted some new proposals to that end. First, there was a listing proposal to help companies list and remain listed on capital markets. Second, a corporate insolvency proposal to streamline insolvency proceedings. Simple question. (laughs) How does this benefit companies and the EU economy?
1: Great question. Nothing simple about it. Let's start with this. Um, so let's start from the basics. CME is about access to financing and these two projects, these two proposals or packages of measures are about largely access to financing. So the listing proposal is in reality, a proposal about options, alternatives for companies to seek financing from different sources, because what we had before Or during the financial crisis, what we realized during the financial crisis is that our companies are too much reliant on banks. So, what we want with the CMU project is to promote financing from markets, as we call, call them, or capital markets. So, the proposal on listing precisely seeks to achieve that companies can now consider public markets as a viable source of. Funding for them Mm -hmm. uh, as an alternative to bank lending or to seeking funding from other sources. And the today's situation, unfortunately, is such that companies find it extremely costly and burdensome to access public markets. Today, for example, they have to do a very long uh, doc produce, a very long document that they have to approve with an authority for which they have to pay a lot of money, not even counting other costs relating to listing. So after they list, they also have to comply with a lot of listing requirements. So the proposal on listing precisely seeks to reduce that, render it more proportionate, also ensuring that there is not potentially too much information because too much information is not in the interest of investors either. So the idea is to render the burden for companies that want to access public markets to raise new funds. Uh, less important and for investors to also easier, potentially, to navigate to all these complex documents um, that companies need to publish ahead of listing. So this is one part. Mm-hmm. On insolvency, um, well, the situation is that today investors, when they want to invest, they also potentially consider situations on which companies are not going to do well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about, you know, how much money I'm going to get from a company that is doing well but also how much money can I get if the company is- Goes west. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's, it's, it's precisely about that. How do we make sure that investors actually understand the insolvency, the bankruptcy laws of 27 different member states? Because today, an investor potentially needs to understand 27 different sets of rules. And it's almost impossible, let's face it, for an investor to do that. So today we have- Investors potentially uh, um, investing only in a number of member states and not in all member states Mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to make them this appreciation. And so what we want to do, we want to ensure that this 27 sets of rules, which are fairly different today, are more alike, if you wish, to facilitate the burden on the investor to make this appreciation, right? And on the other hand, we also want for some insolvency rules in those member states where they're not really efficient very lengthy, very costly, very very burdensome, that they become more efficient so that investors can recoup potentially their money more quickly. Not all of it because we're in bankruptcy, but at least some of it. Uh And that uh, on its own should facilitate investment across all the EU and potentially reduce the premium or the additional uh, money that investor is going to charge for granting funds or providing funds because it's all part of the investor's reflection ahead of making this investment. How much would it cost you know, a, a company to raise these funds? How much money can I charge to a company in order to provide financing? So all of these are very important considerations mm-hmm. and all of them should facilitate a uh, company's access to market-based finance.
0: Yeah, yeah, whenever we talk about jobs we, and, and we talk about companies... Creating jobs in the European Union, we we yeah, the EU is incredibly fond of small and medium enterprises SMEs. Um, obviously, mostly because if I understand correctly, the statistics are that SMEs are the ones that provide a huge amount of jobs in in our economy. So it makes sense to love them. Um, both of your proposals have special considerations for SMEs for the small and medium enterprises. Can you tell us why and? How you design specific rules for SMEs?
1: Absolutely, excellent question. And just to your first point, uh, more than ninety percent of our companies, and I think GDP and growth, uh, you know, generated in the U comes from from SMEs. So they're the backbone, as we call mm-hmm. call them, of our economy. Um, so yes, uh, the, the main focus, and that's how we started actually working on on, on the listing act, uh, but also on to a certain extent on on the insolvency proposal. We started from the SME point of view. So uh, on the on the listing rules, what we changed we we rendered all the documentation that surrounds the process of listing much less burdensome, shorter, more streamlined, and Hence, less costly for those SMEs to prepare. Uh, We also make sure that the rules that they have to comply with after they list are more proportionate, are clearer, and also sanctions that apply to, in some cases, you know, inability of those companies to disclose information on time. Because once you are publicly listed, you have to disclose information on, Mm. you know, Makes price prices move, uh, or as we call it, price sensitive um, events. Uh, so this information um, SMEs would have to disclose, but sometimes because they're smaller, because they don't have as much resources at their hand, they don't do it on time, and not because of bad will or because they decide to manipulate markets or conceal something, or something from from markets, it's just because. Because they don't have resources. Well, they don't to, have enough
0: people to hire. They exactly, don't have money to uh, hire the lawyers. And the bureau- precisely.
1: <laughs> and that, yeah, and, and pay a lot to those lawyers, right? Yeah. So that's why, um, you know, sometimes they do not comply or may not comply with certain disclosure requirements and may be fined. And the rules are clear uh, about that. So the current setup for, for sanctions is very much focused on larger companies. There are absolute amounts. So there is no... Uh, attention given to the size of the company. We want to change that. We want sanctions to be more proportionate. So now you have a bigger link to the size of the company so that SMEs, in case they fail to comply with disclosure requirements, cannot you know, be fined at the same level as very large corporates. So, that, that is very important because this we know we, we've asked um, and consulted people broadly. This is considered uh, as one of the key elements that companies consider when they decide to list. This is a major dissuasive factor. Mm-hmm. So, we need to make sure that also our sanctioning regime is proportionate. For insolvency, we are coming forward with a standalone dedicated regime uh, for uh, micro companies, the regime that is going to be shorter potentially, less costly. Mm. wireless less costly? Uh, often a company needs to hire uh, what is known uh, as an insolvency practitioner. So mm. a specialist who oversees the insolvency uh, proceeding, who is like the connecting uh, uh, intermediary basically between the company and the court.
0: I think uh, in Lithuania we call these bankruptcy administrators. Maybe, is that what?
1: Um, that is possible. Okay. I I don't know, but you know, in each in each member state, you have yeah, basically yeah. this professionals, mm-hmm. and in many member states, it's it's a regulated profession, mm-hmm. and they basically ensure that you know information is provided, you know, certain evidence is being g- given to the court, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. In many cases, this is also the biggest chunk of the costs associated with the insolvency proceedings, mm-hmm. and SMEs, in particular, those SMEs that are basically. Uh, you know, in in distress, uh, that cannot pay um, on 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 their invoices, they simply don't have that yeah. amount of money. So they they even don't go for insolvency proceedings. And in that situation, what you have is companies with their entrepreneurs, but basically being stuck because mm-hmm. they cannot benefit from what is known as that discharge, that that relief. Mm-hmm. So they, it, it's hanging there. It's blocking potential, it's breaking into entrepreneurship capital, if you wish, and doesn't permit for this company and for this entrepreneur to to turn around and then uh, start potentially a new business. So the current regime is simply not fit for for the majority of Mm micro-companies. And some member states have introduced such such a regime in the past, but very few did, and many don't have it. So the proposal seeks to make sure that, all member states across, you know, the EU have this regime in place that would allow also micro companies, smaller companies, to go through much quicker, much less expensive right. proceeding, and for their entrepreneurs, um, founders, to benefit from that discharge.
0: Okay. Um- another question and this this sort of changing gears um and it's it it's just probably going to show my my lack of knowledge on on these things i i read the press release uh, about about this package and um there was a bit in there that i just i i didn't get i mean so i'm going to ask you to explain it to me um because it it it's got some buzzwords some important words in it that like piqued my interest but um i didn't i didn't i didn't get it um so you have made some rules for market abuse, more proportionate market abuse, sexy words. I want to, you know, I want to know what that means. And you're doing that whilst preserving market integrity. More words that I read that, that sound important. What does that even mean? Well, listen.
1: Market abuse is is a very difficult topic because it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. If, if if you start drilling into 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 the rules, but uh, if you if you think about it, it's mainly about avoiding market manipulation, about a, okay. avoiding insider dealing, mm-hmm. about avoiding uh, that some. Parts- so I knew it was important. Exactly. So your intuition was absolutely right. <laughs> it's about making sure that. Uh, those uh, who possess sensitive information, inside information, as as we call it, do not act on it. Mm-hmm. Do not, for example, start buying shares because they know what's going to happen to the price of shares once, once this information becomes public. Uh, so they do act and they benefit unilaterally from that information to the detriment of other investors. And that's why we consider that... Insider dealing, market manipulation is very bad, right? Mm-hmm. So, the regime that has been put forward, um, a lot of it uh, was triggered by what we've seen during the financial crisis. So, it is a very solid, robust regime. But what we are trying to do is to make it perhaps more applicable and more proportionate and also improve legal certainty. What do I mean by that? Because these are, again, complex notions. Uh, Certain um, notions, if you wish, in in market abuse, like what is inside information, you know, the very essence of the market abuse regime uh, can be interpreted very differently by by different stakeholders. And we also know that the regime uh, on disclosures um, is very much dependent on how people interpret what inside information is. Mm-hmm. Um, there is quite some jurisprudence, so court rulings mm-hmm. that interpret different provisions, um, but more legal certainty can be introduced by making things really clear, black and white, by changing rules, basically. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing with this proposal is we're trying to fine tune. Uh, if you wish, the definition of inside information. So what is inside information? not for when it uh, really relates to hardcore market abuse cases, when you start actually actively uh, uh, you know engage in in insider dealings, but when again, it concerns perhaps more technical elements uh, of the market abuse framework, uh, notably related to disclosures. I think we've covered disclosures a bit before. So this is about, information the company needs to disclose to mm-hmm. the public uh, once it it is publicly listed, because it may have an impact on the price of its shares mm-hmm. and hence all investors need to have this information. Now, the current regime is, is complicated by the fact that the company may decide not to disclose information when it can prejudge its legitimate interest. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that uh, in that case, the company can apply for for delay and some do, but others don't. So what we have today in the EU is a very uh, complicated patchwork, if you wish, of the implementation of the disclosure regime under the market abuse, where some companies disclose a lot of information, some disclose very little, some benefit from delays. And as a result, basically the regime doesn't function. So you have some disclosures. Investors do not always know whether information is sufficiently mature. Mm -hmm. Is it the information that they should act immediately upon or something else is going to happen in the future? To give you an example, merger and acquisition. So there can be a talk starting on merger and acquisition, but no certainty on whether a merger uh, will go Mm -hmm. through. Um, So. A talk on its own isn't it enough of a basis for an investor to start selling or to start buying stock. That, that's, that's a question mark. So is this information actionable, so to speak? So what we uh, decided to do with uh, our changes to the market abuse framework, and that's where we are introducing the proportionality dimension, is we are saying, when you disclose, what really matters is mature information. Any intermediate steps, you know, any information that is intermediate that is not going to be price sensitive, i.e., would you know have an impact on the investor's decision to you know buy or sell, is not relevant and hence does not need to be disclosed. So it's not about fundamentally overseeing the rules or you know uh, having a massive overhaul, but it's about fine tuning and making sure the regime is workable because you don't have. You don't want to have a situation where you have a regime, a nominal rule in place, but you have a possibility also to depart from it through delays, and some do, as a result, not having equal disclosures across all uh, participants.
0: So it's basically the EU leveling the playing field again.
1: It is a bit of that. It's a bit of proportionality, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially also reducing costs because disclosures cost money for companies. You have to prepare them, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these are legal fees. In many cases, so why to disclose if this information is not relevant for investors uh, and costly for for the company? So it's it's about you know fine tuning, mm-hmm. making sure let's say more um, you know uh, making making the, the the regime more applicable, uh, more straightforward in yeah, certain straightforward. cases, mm-hmm. uh, without impairing. Uh, in, you know, integrity and, uh, market integrity. And that is of course the main, if you wish, objective of market abuse framework to ensure that we, we keep market, market integrity, because this is fundamental. Market integrity is, you know, drives trust and without trust, you cannot have a well-functioning capital
0: market. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Second to last question. Um. Corporate insolvency. You, you you mentioned you you talked about this a little bit before, but I, I still want a little bit more um, on, on it. Um, we're talking about bankruptcy here, right? So when a company dies, it's it's never good news. I mean, can you walk us through the merits of giving um, company owners, a fresh or company managers, whatever, a fresh start more quickly? I mean, what's what's the point of that? How does that benefit the rest of the economy?
1: So let, let, let's be clear first on the scope mm-hmm. of the proposal. So, what we are regulating is exclusively cases when the company cannot be saved. Yeah. Because when the company can be saved, then we're talking about potentially restructuring. Okay. And that is dealt by the restructuring directive that has been agreed a, a few years back. What we are discussing today is, or are, rather, situations when the company, is in distress; it cannot be restructured, it cannot, cannot be, be saved, saved yep. and the company basically goes in liquidation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, of course, liquidation and bankruptcy is, is is never good, but it's a fact of life that mm-hmm. some companies uh, companies simply cannot carry on, and it's in no one's interest to have a company or what we call a zombie company that sort of hangs on there but without bringing any value to the economy. And in a way, blocking resources um, because it cannot go through orderly liquidation. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem because, okay, some assets are getting stuck. So some investors and creditors are not being paid because this is not part of the orderly uh, liquidation process. And that is a problem from the efficiency point of view, from the economic general economic point of view. Uh, we, We need to reduce those zombie firms in the economy to make sure that resources are allocated efficiently. And that's where this proposal is coming in, because it wants to ensure that you know all companies, including micro companies, and we've touched you know, upon this mm-hmm. uh, a few minutes ago, um, can benefit from orderly liquidation in a process which is predefined and in a way which is aligned across 27 member states, because it's not enough that only some member states can offer this, but others mm-hmm. don't. So that's that's an important consideration. And uh, of course, uh, the 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 second chance um, comes in. You know, when it comes to the liability, if you wish, of of the um, of the entrepreneur of the company, because if the company does is not like liquidated in a way, um, you know, does does not go through the insolvency uh, proceeding, uh, the entrepreneur basically continues to be liable for all mm-hmm. the debt that has you know has accrued. Um, as a result of the company's distress. So it's not relieved or discharged Mm -hmm. of its debt. So it cannot really start a new business.
0: So they're kind of stuck. And 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 the money's stuck.
1: Everybody's just stuck. And I just, what is important to understand, uh, I mean, many SMEs or micro companies, they're started in many cases, you know, with just an idea, many of them, and that's a fact of life, go bust. And if you don't have a well-functioning regime, a well-functioning you know, regime that would allow entrepreneurs to kind of ensure a turnaround, a possibility to restart, you know, you have an issue. And
0: if, then you're taking an entrepreneur who's got talent out of, the, out of the market. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the
1: point. So you, you're basically looking in talent. Uh, the guy cannot start a new business it, and okay. uh, the economy is losing out as a result.
0: Okay, well that totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, cuz if I understand correctly, capital markets union is about um getting money to where it needs to be, keeping the money flowing. Um, be it from investors and big investors to people like me, to small investors who want to invest in the mom and pop and, you know, even the mom and pop that goes bust, but mom and pop might actually do have a better idea down the road. So um, obviously capital markets union is important. I mean, you know, capital markets are what drive our economy to a great extent. Um, So my last question, which is the surprise question, um, I remember Back in the old days, uh, there was uh, Commissioner Hill. Uh, I think he was the one who coined the phrase, there is no silver bullet to make the capital markets union happen. Now, obviously, silver bullets are just for for, for vampires and for, for uh, werewolves uh, and not for capital markets. But um, your prediction, and you don't have to answer this, obviously, um, when are we going to finish building the capital markets union? How far away are we?
1: This is going to be my personal view. Yeah, of course,
0: because, of course. Uh
1: okay. Probably every time you ask this question, you can get a different answer. And mm-hmm. uh by the way, I think on the way we might kill a few uh werewolves and vampires <laughs> to, to get there. Uh my personal view is if if there is really a belief that we need this, and not just in terms of saying that we need it, but actually realizing mm-hmm. and proving that we needed, I think. That can be achieved, and it's it's not something really far off. It's whenever we compare, you know, capital markets union to the banking union, I always say you cannot compare this. Mm-hmm. And when you say banking Union is, is almost complete, of course there are there are blocks that, that still need to be done. Uh, but there, it's it's an institutional project, you know. Capital markets union is so much more than that. It's about changing how people act, how mm-hmm. they think, how they, um, you know, also consider uh, what 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 options they consider in their daily activities. And so it's so much more than just, you know, coming up with the institution. So by definition, by the very design, it requires more time. Now, of course, there are certain prerequisites that without those, you cannot just, you know, you cannot say we've achieved it because mm-hmm. ultimately you can put a label and say, oh, we've done this, you know, good enough, you know, sign off. Um, I think there are a few of those tickets that we need to uh, to get before we can sign off saying, okay, we're pretty much there. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, you know, one of the biggest tickets is supervision. And it's it's not just about single supervisor, if you ask me. It's about ensuring that there is converging supervision. And then it's done in the same way. Because as the commission, we, we can try to change and align rules and harmonize rules. As much as we please. But if those rules are then implemented uh, and applied in a very different way, and mm-hmm. there is no supervisor who would tell you, ah, actually, no, 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 you have to do it in a different way and perhaps, you know, find somebody and, 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 uh, you know, ensure that some others uh, see how much, you know, of a, of a fine a company uh, is paying. So all of these are important disciplining elements that I think you need to have uh, to ensure that uh, rules are functioning. Um, because rules without implementation are just, you know, um, lists of, um, pages of text. Um, so you you need common supervision. You need to make sure that everyone understands and implements those rules in the same way. And, you know, without having a a stronger, um, you know, supervisory role, uh, in the middle, I think it's very difficult to achieve that. Uh, it can be debated who should assume this role. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get into this debate today. Mm-hmm. I mean it's Friday. <laughs> Late Friday. Let's 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 see. Um so but I think what is important is the result and the result needs to be that we don't just focus on the single rule book as we call it. So mm-hmm. harmonizing and aligning rules, we also focus on supervision. And the supervisory um element is still very much missing from the picture so until we get that element uh, and uh, you know we 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 probably cannot uh, safely enough uh, say that we've achieved it. We've, we're not we're nearly there. We, we still need to to get uh, to get it over.
0: I I really like your answer, and it's not only because it makes me feel smart. Because I think it's it it jibes with with what I imagine what needs to be done uh, for the capital markets union to work. Uh, you know to move towards a truly unified European. Uh, market for 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 capital because that'll be able to bring this is a pet a pet project so I I'm not actually policymaker or anything like that um but my my what I really would love to see in Europe is money flowing also into the smaller markets the ones that don't have you know the big stock exchanges the ones that aren't normally on the 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 uh periscope of big investors like my home country oh, my. your your home <laughs> country i mean like really where there's a lot of innovation and they're bigger than mom and pops i mean there's 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 unicorns in the baltics so you know that's what i think capital markets union is is leading towards is leading towards um a truly common uh european market where money is going to flow to where it needs to and giving us citizens an opportunity to invest in really cool stuff
1: absolutely
0: yeah. tanya Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for giving me um, a, a, a lesson in, in what's going on, what the new stuff is. And uh, I look forward to uh, talking about supervision about this in the near future.
1: Absolutely. With pleasure.
0: Thank you. So another step forward on the road to a true capital markets union. Good. I mean... Is there ever a better time to help Europe's companies access different sources of finance so they can grow and innovate, create jobs and attract investment? This has always been the goal of the Capital Markets Union. It's about the fundamentals of our economy, isn't it? Making sure that EU citizens have jobs that we can provide for ourselves and our families, right? It takes money for that. And it takes money to make money. Like I've mentioned before, I'm not an expert on this stuff. But if I got it right, the latest CMU proposals are 1. Building capacity of market infrastructures in the EU while keeping our markets open. 2. The EU's making it easier for companies to access more types of funding, reducing the costs and the paperwork for companies that want to list on EU stock markets. 3. On insolvency. The proposal will give investors more certainty about how long insolvency proceedings could take and how much value they can recover, making them more likely to invest in companies in a different member state. That means more money can flow into those places that can put it to really good use, but maybe aren't in the usual places where investors look. Believe me, there's some good stuff in what some consider off- the beaten path investment destinations. Take a look at my home country, Lithuania. Heck, take a look at any of the quote-unquote smaller markets. There's opportunity there too. Sexy? No. Necessary? Absolutely. The EU has delivered greater economic opportunity for 500 million people. And it looks like the CMU is on track to keep doing that in the future. Thanks for joining me today. And do please like and subscribe. Tell your friends and keep coming back for more on the future of finance. Until next time, bye.